Steve, before you set out to make a film, do you ask yourself, what will the audience for this film want? Or is that something that it's not really a filmmaker's job to ask that question? Uh, you know, I think it all depends on the story. In the case of Crime and Punishment, this was a story I felt that um, really begged of this idea uh, of bearing witness. And I, because I really felt like early on that if uh, we couldn't bring the viewer as close to the these moments that the officers were living through and talking about and, and um, really trying to shed light on that, um, you know, they might not, people might not believe these claims. So, um, you know, that's where this great gift of observational filmmaking um, really um, can unlock storytelling because uh, of this idea that if you really stick around long enough, um, you gain access um, to very unexpected kinds of moments and also the layers of truth start to kind of like um, really reveal themselves um, whereas like in the beginning you may be seeing sort of moments that speak uh, on a, like an issue level that might have interested you early on um, by the end of filming it you know the the process the relationship with the subjects that you're filming all of that kind of um, gets so intimate that you are um, inadvertently um, over a series of years um, you know presented with a very kind of um, human um, character driven kind of access and and that's that's really where I think that the the kernel of um, storytelling really happens like where you get to truly know people on um, a very intimate level so looking at your IMDb, it looks like your first directing credit was in 2003, and then you didn't have another directing credit until 2012. What challenges were you facing that kept you from creating anything right, yeah. during that time? So, um, yeah, that's a really good question. <laughs> um, I, I think one of the biggest challenges in filmmaking is, is, is just simply having the confidence to um, continue uh, pushing forward when you have an idea or a project. Um, you know, I had a lot of false starts between um, during that span of time, but what um, really was important to me during those years was actually having the opportunity to work on other people's films. And so I always felt like it was important um, if I was going to direct my own work to understand, um, to kind of like master in my own practice um, how to shoot for people, how to edit for people. and by way of that really, um, you know, be able to inform my own directing one day with um, these kinds of like, not just technical skills, but um, real, um, um, very different um, kinds of language when um, deeply engaged in the filmmaking process. You know, the, uh, I always think back to, you know, what Al Maisels used to say, which is like, half of directing is the cinematography and half of directing is the editing. And, you know, for that reason, he would give um, Charlotte's Warren co-directing credit when she would edit their films uh, just because of the multitude of infinite decisions that go into crafting a film um, on the editorial side. So um, I, I really am glad that I had this opportunity to work on other people's films. And um, at the same time, it really motivated me to feel like um, you know, after a certain number of years, I was really ready to um, really dig in on my own work.
you did an interview about your 2012 documentary, which is High Tech, Low Life, which I would love to see, by the way. I watched the trailer and I watched interviews. looks excellent. And you said that you didn't want to over-dramatize the stories of these citizen journalists. And I'm wondering how, how is that sort of over-dramatization and how did you do that with the NYPD 12, the Officers for Crime and Punishment? Sure. Um, you know, I, I think like when you, you, you think like um, linguistically about storytelling, right, there's this idea that um, we have these tools of empathy building and rhetoric that at our disposal. And um, it's easy to um, get carried away or find that um, the narrative you construct um, is rooted in this kind of like um, a rhetorical argument of, or built around um, character development or this idea of like uh, the creation of empathy in people's stories and their experiences. And and I think that we have to be very careful about how we use those um, those tools because um, the, they, they are simply just tools and we have to have kind of a, a more thoughtful um, end game in mind, you know, for the case in the case of high tech low life, um, I didn't want to over dramatize this inherently dramatic story because of the political conditions within which they were, um, you know, doing their work. So these are citizen journalists who are traveling across mainland China reporting on censored news and um, also trying to disseminate um, this idea that individuals all carry, possess a kind of um, social capital that um, if um, activated collectively there could be a very powerful kind of like sea change in the culture around um, what can and can't be said in the media and in social media and that there was more room for freedom of speech that than people realized and so in that idea was for me this notion that if we dramatize the notion of like a Western view of China and kind of like the draconian landscape that everybody, you know, political landscape that everybody um, likes to portray China with, you know, it would be in service of kind of like a more riveting film, but I think it would not be faithful to the reality on the ground, which is, you know, these guys were uh, representing a, a real gray area and an expansive gray area um, uh, of political and free speech. And so that was a really kind of important lesson to me that, um, you know, I, I wanted to make sure that um, the the tone and the use of um, dramatic um, cinematic language was always, you know, thoughtful and kind of like commensurate to the real, um, truly honest political kind of condition at hand. Um, in the case of crime and punishment, I think that this idea of, you know, building character, right, from a story perspective, these are obviously real people, so to call them characters and subjects is always a little discomforting, but um, for the sake of the conversation, you know, building character was very important, right? If you can't um, have a human connection to these whistleblower officers uh, in the film, then you would never uh, release yourself to kind of imagine this the high stakes nature of what they're doing and um, the the real kind of like social and political impact of of everything that they're putting on the line to try and expose. Um, but that being said, this could not um, this couldn't be rooted in simply any single character's 
um, dramatic story arc um, because the the larger goal for me in this film was to create something that um, had a a sort of systemic view that incorporated many officers that we were meeting and um, not just that but kind of like um, had a story structure that would lead from one person to the next to the next so that there was a kind of corroborating effect in the storytelling. Um, in, in a sense, you know, for me that was um, perhaps like a less dramatic um, kind of strategy to take as far as you know, what would have been so potent to just tell Edwin Raymond's story or just Sandy Gonzalez's story. Um, but ultimately, I think it was in service of this kind of more important goal that I recognized um, we need to insulate the project with, which is with this different kind of story structure that um, was moving back, back and forth between sort of a macro um, sort of systemic view and then the micro-human view on the ground literally suggested through these aerial drone shots right of the precincts um, if you see the film there we could um, we can get at something both structural in terms of the policy that ha was having a discriminatory impact in minority communities and um, also make sure that the viewer was grounded in like the real human stakes of people living through these systemic issues and then also additionally insulate the film so that it's much harder for the department to dismantle any singular narrative or say you know this was kind of like you know th this is a um, uh, like the the claims of a disgruntled cop or you know every precinct has its bad apples that um, will have something negative to say about the department um, so I don't know if that answers your question, but there was a lot that kind of went into um, the, the story. I heard you say in another interview where I, I read something that you did not want the weight of the film to rest on just one story. And so I'm wondering how did you make sure that you divided the time so that it's not so-and-so's sort of fault or, or that it's, it's not a, just a film about one sort of story with a right. few minor ones interwoven? Right. Yeah, I mean, there, I was really sensitive to this idea that, you know, when you push back against an institution, right, as these officers in the film are doing, that um, often is the case that, um, you know, people will say, oh, well, this is one disgruntled cop or this is one bad apple. Everyone, um, every department has a bad apple. <laughs> and this kind of like bad apples idea was something I was very sensitive to and wanted to make sure that we created a story structure that was rooted in kind of a, a more non-linear multi-character mosaic which um, we could create a corroborating effect so that one officer's story would dovetail into another would lead us to another would then be you know introducing a, some lawyers who are working with a private investigator that lead us to the um, a community with young people who have been ar arrested multiple times for falsified charges and um, so on and so forth. So that there was this true kind of ecosystem of criminal justice um, or a systemic, truly systemic view of what was happening in New York City um, that would be much harder to refute um, or dismiss um, if, than if it was a single character narrative that 
we are putting a lot of pressure onto. And so I think in a lot of ways the, the burden of this, um, of the film's message could really be spread out by many and shared by all. I think you said too uh, for an interview you did with the Sundance Institute that you believe that there's no financial incentive to draw the documentary process out past a year, but obviously this took, what, four years to make Crime and Punishment? Yeah. So I'm wondering how were you able to put in four years of time and not run out, or did you run out of money several times and you were able to apply for grants? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, most people working in nonfiction are finding themselves in situations where they're shooting for years in order to prove to funders that, you know, they have a credible story or a kind of like a, um, uh, a proof of concept on hand. You hear many times you submit to, uh, you know, grand applications, you know, and or to funders and, you know, they'll say, well, come back when you have more. This looks really interesting. And to the point where, you know, people want rough cuts of work. And so it's, 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 it's really a difficult path to try and finish an independent documentary, um, you know, because you're expending all your personal savings or resources. You're, everybody is accruing or most people are accruing tremendous amounts of personal debt on credit cards and whatnot. And so, you know, it's, it's very hard to justify. Um, but yet, you know, when you feel like you are finding yourself in the crux of a very kind of um, perhaps never before seen story or um, access to individuals that have not, you know, had their stories told. And it, it, that's a very kind of compelling um, reason to just find any way possible to continue shooting. So, you know, luckily I think being able to freelance in film um, for other projects is, you know, uh, was a, a thankfully a way to kind of sustain myself. Uh, you know, when times were tight. <laughs> and then ultimately you, um, you know, then ultimately I was able to get funding, thankfully, from some really amazing organizations and individuals. You think of most documentary filmmakers deal with maybe a reluctant subject. You said earlier the chance for them to tell their story. Were there times when it was too much too fast because they were so relieved that you were here, you were ready to listen, they were ready they were at a time in their lives where they knew they were going to do this, take this leap, and you had to slow them down? Yeah, I mean, it was a really overwhelming moment once, you know, the class action was formed. There were, um, you know, in essence, 12 cops who were part of this class. Not all 12 of them um, wanted to be filmed, but the majority of them did. And so that was about um, 10 officers, including um, individuals, um, who were sort of on the receiving end of, um, you know, certain uh, discriminatory policing claims, and um, the lawyers, and a private investigator, and um, com community members. So um, there was definitely a span of a couple of years where I was felt like I was constantly on call and um, always overwhelmed with wanting to follow like a very multifaceted um, narrative that had a kind of nonlinear structure to it, but um, um, feeling like it was almost nearly impossible to be everywhere at once. What wound up happening that was really kind of helpful for me was I realized, you know, I could only dig in um, to what I could 
dig into at any one given time. So if I spent like a week or two with one individual, it was actually a good thing to have time away from somebody else. You know, um, it would allow the story to advance. There would be, um, you know, a, a renewed vigor and excitement to film. Um, and you know, I think it was. Uh, it was a, a good thing to not always be in everybody's face. But that said, you know, it was a tremendous amount of filming because I was like very interested in, in wanting to find the story organically and find the structure organically and, um, you know, be responsive to what was unfolding over the years. And so I'm sure there were times when of those 12, maybe they weren't sure they wanted to go through with it, maybe not. But were there ever times when you questioned your motives or your ability to withstand sort of taking on this giant? Yeah, I mean, I think you're you're not making a film if you don't feel at a certain point like a tremendous amount of uncertainty and self-doubt and question the very motivation of what you're doing, right? I mean, you you can't ever fully know that you're taking all these people who have put their story and their trust and faith in you, um, that you're going to actually have something to show for that. And so it's an incredibly stressful burden of responsibility that, you know, at certain points, you, that line is blurry. Like, where are you doing this for yourself? Are you try doing this to ultimately um, make sure that you can deliver on a promise? And, and that's a very... Um, that's a tricky situation because we can't be making films for our subjects, but yet we certainly don't want to let them down because they've instilled so much faith in us. And so I, I think that um, ultimately you go through so many different kinds of emotions and um, all of that is in service of kind of like making a, a more rigorously vetted project, one that, you know... Um, if you're that you know that if you're not struggling with these kinds of like a, a whole multitude of of personal and ethical questions uh, in the process, then um, then you're not fully embracing what is most important about the process, which is you know every filmmaker does have to come to terms with very complex ideas. You know, not just can I finish the film, but you know what what does this film need to be? You know, and what is the most truthful representation of this story and how am I, um, how is the mere, um, you know, act of trying to document in real time certain kinds of events, um, altering the reality of what, you know, would have happened and how do I tap into something innate about my motivations and my beliefs in order to then create the most faithful representation of what would have happened if I did not insert myself into this situation. And, um, you know, that's just the beginning. That's just the tip of the iceberg as far as, you know, the kinds of, um, you know, really uh, um, complex and overwhelming questions I think we tussle with. 